Hello and welcome back to the Brett and Jason podcast. I am your host, Brett Hanflin, and joining me in the Zoom studio, a special guest, it's Jonah Levy. Hey, Jonah. What up? Happy to have you here. Um, we've never done this before. Uh, for the people that don't know, we used to work together and we stayed pretty close and I follow you on, on that little website, the twitter.com. I see you're talking there. Oh, yeah. Uh, so happy to have you here. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm... Uh... I'm available to talk basketball 24-7, 365. Love to do that. So we'll, we'll get into oh, that. Yeah. But um, how's everything? I saw you moved into the city, into Manhattan. Yeah, I uh, wouldn't recommend moving into a <laughs> cesspool of germs. But no, all things considered, it's great to, great to be in New York City. Been working here. Grew up on Long Island. Local, pretty local guys. So, you know, New Yorkers are like, handling the like uh, pandemic pretty well. Everyone's moving out of this city and you move right in. Exactly. (laughs) Got to zig when everyone zags, man. Yeah. Um, Yep. But yeah, I'm happy to have you here. I'm uh, honestly, I'm in a, I'm in a tough place right now. Um, Not COVID related, not anything serious. It's just my, my fandom. So yeah, you know, yesterday, so we're recording this Monday night. Um, Yesterday, tough day for Giants. Are you a Giants fan? I forget. Hey, I'm a Jets fan, so I'm right Jets there fan. with so you on the tough you, days. It's tough for you, too, but I don't think it's that sharp. So, you know, as most of you, I'm sure you know, Saquon Barkley tore his ACL yesterday. One of the, the real bright spots the Giants have in this, you know, kind of a kind of a crappy roster, an 0-2 start, it's just, it just gutted me. I mean, even as a Jet fan, I'm sure that, that's tough for you to see. Tough to see, man. So many injuries yesterday. I think it'd be best if the Jets and Giants close their eyes and just wake up in 2021. It's crazy. This I mean, ain't it, man. I mean, this year ain't honestly, it. I, I might be a little biased. I think the Giants suck, but they have a little a little momentum going. I feel like the Jets are in a really tough place. Um, Adam Gase. Adam Gase is one of those hires that everyone, when it happens, thinks is a bad decision, and then it just plays exactly. out how you thought it was going to happen. Um, general rule of thumb, if you're hiring a new coach or GM, if everyone in the old team they're leaving is happy to see them go, that's a bad sign. Right. And, and a lot of, and it's funny, a lot of his former guys are, are playing well right now, whether it's Tannehill or, um, yep. I mean, you know, he had Peyton Manning, so I, I think he got the Peyton bump. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll talk football another time. By the way, it's a good, it's a good day to be a, a Levy, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you had, if you saw the Chits Creek. Have you seen that show? Do you watch? Yeah, we had a Levy sweep with the uh, Emmys. That was pretty exciting Levy, stuff. Daniel Levy are the are the you know the main actors in that, and they wrote they created the show. They they swept the whole thing. Uh, do you watch? Wait, you? forgive my ignorance. I, I I don't watch Chits Creek, but is that Eugene Levy's son? So that is Eugene Levy's son. It's his. Oh I believe, wow! I believe it's his first acting role. I'm not sure. So they, he won best actor in comedy. Eugene won best actor. They won the first seven Emmys. Um, I was, you know, I, was I heard it. about it. I was checking it. Basketball was on, football was on, but I was checking it out. I watched the show. I haven't finished it, but I, so good day to be a Levy. Nah, you're not part of the Great family. Day but, to be a Levy. <laughs> um, so you want to get into some ball, some Knicks talk? Always. So Always, I, brother. I guess to frame it out, we're going to talk about the Knicks kind of the state of the union. Um, you know, the Knicks haven't played in a while. The draft's not in a while. Free agency's not in a while. So we're kind of in the middle of things. But we'll talk about where they are, where they're hopefully going. And then we'll talk about some uh, some rest of the league in the playoffs. Um, 
Okay, so today is what, September 21st? 21st. The Knicks hired Tom Thibodeau on July 30th. So we're going back a little, but we haven't, we haven't talked about this. Um, they were considering a few other coaches, Kenny Atkinson, Jason Kidd, a few other first-time, I guess would-be first-time coaches. Uh, what do you think of the hiring? Um, do you like it? You know, what do you think before? I thought that it was a middle-of-the-pack hire. There were guys I wanted more. There's guys like Kenny Atkinson, who I thought fit the character that the Knicks are, which is a young, rebuilding team, a bunch of guys that have to play together. And what Kenny Atkinson did for the Nets over the last couple of years, turning them from a joke in the NBA, like the Knicks have been for decades and decades, into relevancy. I don't think the Nets would have Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant if it wasn't for the work that Kenny Atkinson did laying the bricks. Right. Would have loved that as a hire. I, I think they were – oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I like Kenny too. Um, I thought he did a great job with the Nets. I thought he, you know, you know, he, he improved a lot of their young players. He, he made them a playoff team. Um, I guess before the, we hired Thibodeau, I, I, I would have been okay with Kenny. Um, sorry, go ahead. And it could have been way worse. It could have <laughs> been worse. The Knicks avoided hiring a guy like Mark Jackson. Right. Who is flat out a joke in the NBA. He's barely able to survive his career as an announcer. He was a notorious bad leader for the Warriors. Look at how things turned around the second he was gone. So I think things could have been worse. Yeah, I I didn't want Jackson either. I mean, people look at the Warriors situation as sort of a chicken and the egg egg type of thing. It's like... Did he build them up to be this champion or was he holding them back from being champion? I think it's the latter. I think he was holding them back and Kerr took them to the next level. So yeah, I didn't want Jackson. His name will still be floated around to, you know, pretty much every head coach in vacancy. I don't know if he'll get one, but his, his name will be there. Um, and, and Hey, in 24 months when the Knicks are looking for a new coach, his name will be there again. <laughs> I hope not. But if, if they are, that's probably true. Hope not. Hope and, not. Man. Were you, yeah. looping, were you looping Jason Kidd into that, uh, disaster zone also? Exactly. Jason Kidd until otherwise, you know, until, unless the future holds something different, I think he's best as an assistant coach, player friendly guy. I don't know if he really elevates his teams though, especially a young team that just needs to focus on the basics. I don't know if Jason Kidd's going to be able to, uh, to, to bring the best out of guys like R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. Right. So we hired Thibodeau. It's the Knicks. We hired him to a five-year deal. It's the Knicks' fourth coach in the last five years. Derek Fisher was fired in 2016. Then Hornacek got two years. Fizdo got a season and some change. Mike Miller got the rest of that season, and now Thibodeau. It's the eighth coach in the last 11 years. So it's not a good trend, but, um, no. you know, there's some, at least maybe, you know, I have some hope that, that, you know, he could ch- change that trend. Um, we hired some assistant coaches. So I just we backtracked Leon Rose, um, came over to oversee basketball operations. Um, I guess back in the, back in the spring, I believe. Um, yep. yeah, you know, he was always connected to Thibodeau. Thibodeau was always the favorite there. Um, you brought in a few assistant coaches. Do you like them? Who, who do you like for the assistant coaches? Yeah. If you're, if you're a Knicks fan like Brett and I have been for too many years, 
the one thing you should be excited about is not the eighth pick in the draft. It's not Tom Thibodeau. It's Leon Rose and it's World Wide West. These guys are connected in a real genuine way. Right. Connections to LeBron James, connections to Chris Paul, to anyone who put on that Kentucky blue. Carl everyone Tappen. has everyone has the utmost respect for those two guys. That's where you should put your optimism. I'm going to decide to be a little bit of faithful, which has been fool's gold in the past with the Knicks and their big right. names. But I think Leon Rose and World Wide West might be able to get it done for us as far as in a meeting with a free agent, making us no longer the joke that we've been. Um, totally agree. Moving on. I totally agree. To the assistant coaches. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What do you think about that? No, I totally agree. I think they bring a reputation, um, a credibility to the Knicks organization that badly needs it. You know, Dolan has created this, you know, this, this perception that – and it's partially true. The Knicks do not know what they're doing. The organization doesn't know what they're doing. And I think Leon Rose, um, with his track record through – you know, he was an agent, but it's in the basketball world. Um, so I think, you know, hopefully they bring credibility. Now they have to make it happen. Um, so, Jonah, who do you like uh, from the assistant coaches, as I mentioned? Yeah, so I haven't gotten to uh, mention Thibodeau either yet. Look, Thibodeau, we all know the history with Thibodeau. He made that Bulls team so exciting. Defense first, energy all the way. Wasn't always had the highest approval rating with people in his city. A lot of people thought he ran Derrick Rose and yeah, Joe so Noah into the ground. Let me give you a quick uh, couple pros and cons that you just mentioned. His overall record, 255 and 139. That's really good. That, compared to New York, oh, yeah. that's really good. Defensive oh, yeah. coach. Bulls were in the top 10 in defense in four of his five seasons there. A couple of the cons you mentioned. He logs his players' big minutes. Always in Chicago, Jimmy Butler and the rest of the starting lineup, big minutes. Same thing in Minnesota with the T-Wolves. Um, and in Minnesota, another con. In Minnesota, he had three seasons. He only made one playoff appearance. So that's just a little of um, the highs and lows there, but keep going. Here's a spin zone for you. Jimmy Butler right now at the Miami Heat is actually absolutely balling looking like a player that we've honestly never seen before. Jimmy Butler is good. He's an all-star, but right now he looks like a superstar. Right. Jimmy Butler wanted out of Chicago because he knew Chicago was a dumpster fire. Then Jimmy Butler went to Minnesota, and he wanted out of Minnesota because he knew Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins did not have the mental fortitude to be winners. Well, where was Tom Thibodeau in his last two stints? He was in Chicago where things didn't work out, and he was in Minnesota trying to coach up Towns and Wiggins, who have talent, but are quite frankly not necessarily the winners we think they are. So, if you're trying to look for a positive spin zone, you know, maybe Thibodeau was on the same track as Jimmy Butler and he just needed to get out of those two yeah, not but, best environments. But to look at it the other way, it might be, you know, Jimmy might be a different person. He might be a different player than he was seven years ago or even true, even two years ago. Um, true. You know, people grow up, they mature. He, he, he got in a he didn't get along so great with his Minnesota teammates. Um, and people also develop their game. So, I, I mean, it, 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 could be, it could be Thibodeau and it could be Jimmy has changed. Jimmy is a, is a superstar right now. Um, I'm not saying that it was Thibodeau's fault with Jimmy in, uh, in uh, Chicago. But what I'm saying is that maybe Thibodeau was dealt the same crappy deck that oh. Butler was dealt. And that's why both Butler and Thibodeau didn't work. In Chicago you. and Minnesota, respectively. But, you. Um, you know, I do love that Thibodeau plays his guys. Obviously, 
you can never directly attribute an injury to a certain moment. I mean, obviously the actual moment a guy gets injured, but people have tried to pin the blame with the Derrick Rose injury in a playoff game that they were clearly uh, winning. I don't remember the year exactly. And he stayed in the game and he had one of his most devastating injuries. Joachim Noah, you know, played 40 minutes plus under Thibodeau and never was the same player after his slew of injuries. But that being said, I still think after years of watching the Knicks play Alfred Payton for 35 minutes and Frank Nilakina for eight minutes, I'm ready to see my head coach play the guys, play him 40 minutes. I don't care. I want to see him running up and down. I want to see them giving defensive effort. I think Thibodeau could be great for RJ, for Mitch, and their development. Yeah. Um, I, I'm a little – Hesitant to say I want them to play the Stars huge minutes. I want them to play big minutes. I think, you know, as analytics have improved, you'll probably get some feedback, you know, to play the guys big minutes, but maybe, you know, not as much earlier in the season or not as much as the, if it's the older guys. But the Knicks do have some young legs with R.J. Barrett, uh, Mitchell Robinson, Kevin Knox, Frank Nilekina. Um, So we'll see how – Thibodeau adapts. One of the things when he was hired, he says he's not the same coach that he used to be. He, you know, the NBA is evolving, and so is he. He wants. I saw he wants to shoot more threes, which is a great thing to hear because I pulled a stat that T Wolves were ranked dead last in three threes attempted. Uh, two of his last two years there, and that's a troubling stat. But it's good that uh, he's open to change. Absolutely, we definitely don't want another Jim Boylan situation where this guy's coaching. You know as if it was 1905 we want a new wave guy jim boylan hire reminds me of what i said about adam Gase. it's one of those hires that from the start the fan base doesn't want it and and people outside the fact it's like what is that and then it's just a couple years the ownership hangs on a little longer than they should because who wants you know they don't want to be wrong it's a reflection on them if they fire a guy after a year 18 months but good for the bulls they did finally get rid of boylan um, yep. Do you want to touch on the assistants? Uh, do we do that? Yeah, real quick. Johnny Bryan, I thought was a great hire. Uh, the guy worked wonders with Donovan Mitchell, who has high praise for him, and Damian Lillard too. So those are superstars in the league that felt that they got helped developmentally wise from a guy like Johnny Bryant, Kenny Payne from Kentucky. We have a new KP. There's a new KP in town, Kenny Payne. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Kentucky players love him. People say, uh, you know, he was one of the driving forces. You know, Calipari gets all the praise, but Kenny Payne was in there improving players every day. Um, so I'm excited. Calipari will be the first one to tell you that. He loves KP. Yeah. Kenny Payne, that is. And uh, I'm excited to have guys like that on board for sure. Yeah. So Thibodeau combined with some assistants that seem like good hires on the surface. You know, time will tell. We've seen this. Uh, we've seen this happen with the Knicks where we get excited. It doesn't work out that way. But listen, you got to be hopeful. Um, you know that's what sports are about. Um, so I'm wishing Thibodeau and the coaches the best, and we'll and we'll that'll be an ongoing story. So let's get into what really might drive <laughs> might drive the players. Uh, I mean, might drive the team despite Thibodeau, and that's uh, the core of the Knicks. Which you know some would say there's not much there, but I, I see some positivity. So the way I look at it, the Knicks have 
The way I look at it, they just have four real strong assets, and that's R.J. Barrett, the number three overall pick last year, Mitchell Robinson, second-round pick from two years ago. They have the number eight overall pick this year and a first-round pick next year. Then I look at two other assets who I like that I'm not going to say are 100% assets. That's uh, Kevin Knox, the eighth overall pick from a few years ago, and Frank Nilakina, I believe also the eighth pick. Um, do you, that, that's really what we got, right? That's, that's, that's where this whole thing starts? Yeah, they have Julius Randle. You know, they have – Alfred Payton is guys on. like Dotson or or an Alfred Payton. Dotson they might not hold on to actually in free agency, but it all comes down to R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson. Those are your two cornerstones for this team moving forward. Those are guys that you hope to project are going to be, you know, running the Knicks over the next five to seven years. Yeah, just to Will round they, out, just to round out the roster because you were mentioning it. Yeah, so they have Julius Randle. Alfred Payton is on a team uh, option, eight million. I think they could pick that up. Um, depending on what they do in free agency. Dennis Smith Jr. is back because they picked up his uh, option last year. Dotson, like you said, is a team option. They have Iggy Bradzinkis, I believe he pronounced it, the uh, second-round pick from Michigan who didn't get much playing time last year. But I kind of like. Yeah, tore it up in the G League. Theo Pinson, who we traded for uh, Alonzo Trier, which I did not like that move. And Kenny Wooden and Jared Harper, and you know they might be G League players, and they might round out the roster. So yeah, that's round out the roster. But the core, like we said, is you know at least going forward. Maybe you know Randall's a bigger part of the team this year, but at least going forward, it, I think it's Barrett, Robinson, Knox, and, and Neil Aquino. Um, so you know, let's start with RJ. Um, I know you were really high on him in the pre-draft process. Are you a Duke fan? No, I went to UConn. I'm a team UConn guy, but I will say, you know, I always start to get drawn as the college year goes on. Right, the big, the big programs. I loved, I loved watching Zion. So I, got, I watched a whole I gotta, lot of Duke. I gotta say something. I remember we could alert cold, uh, old Tate exposed. You were higher on RJ than Zion, correct? I don't mean to put you on the spot. This was early. This was like, it's not even high school. I, I just went there in high All school. All right. Well, if we want to go back that far, RJ was the number one player in high school. Yeah. I was high on RJ, but once the college season started, that first game, I'll never forget, it was against Kentucky and the dismantling of Kentucky by Zion. After okay. one game of college basketball, I was team Zion. Okay. But right, right. I was a big fan of RJ at Montverde Academy. He was, I mean, you know, when he was in high school, he looked like the next LeBron James. That guy could do it all. But some legitimate concerns came up in his uh, single season at Duke, and those concerns follow him. Specifically, touch. Touch around the rim and shooting touch. I'm a little scared about his jump shot at all three levels yeah, so and shot, finishing around the rim as well. Yeah, so he shot 40% in his rookie year, which is it's a slightly alarming number. Um, you know, it's his rookie year, but – his jump shot needs to improve. His foul, you know, foul, foul shooting is usually a good indicator of, of jump shot. His foul shooting was not so good. But oh, yeah. it looks like he has good form. It just, it just didn't really go down. Um, so, sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Where do you see his future? Um, I mean, I, just to say, I'm still high on him. He had an up-and-down rookie year. He did not make either all-rookie team which I saw a lot of Nick fans were pissed about. Honestly, it might have been – I'm not that pissed about it. He, he had an up-and-down year, um, and there were, there were a bunch of other good rookies. RJ, like we said, was the number one player in his high school class, and he was the number three draft in the NBA. 
Do I think he should have been second team all rookie? Maybe. I don't think a uh, award like all rookie team needs to go to only guys on winning teams. So a guy like Terrence Davis to me, you know, maybe it could have been RJ, but I hope that lights a fuel under his ass. Right. And makes him really, really, you know, take that next step that we all think he's capable of. Like I said, I'm a little worried about his touch, both shooting and at the rim. He plays kind of a clunky game, but he has a grown man's body. Right. He can get to the rim, getting to the rim, which is arguably the hardest part about finishing at the rim. That part he can do. So if he just works on his touch, his floaters, you know, his right hand, he's very left-hand dominant. And that jump shot starts to get better over time, which a lot of times jumpers all about effort. How many shots you've taken all summer long? You know, a lot of guys in the NBA significantly raise the level of their shooting throughout the, their careers. So if RJ is one of those guys and one of the best signs about RJ is that he is a workhorse. Right. Everyone that's ever been around him says he works harder than anyone. Loves we know that. his godfather is Steve Nash. So there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic, but I was a little bit. By the way, that'll be a little fun rivalry with Steve Nash on the Nets now and his godson, RJ, uh, you know, in Manhattan. That'll be pretty fun. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love that. Um, Um, I have a stat for you. You ready? Okay. Ready for it. RJ Barrett, one of seven players in NBA history to have 800 points, 250 rebounds, 100 assists, and 50 made three-pointers before turning 20. You ready for the other six? Yep. LeBron James, Kobe Bryant, Carmelo Anthony, Jason Tatum, Luka Doncic, and Kevin Durant. Okay. You could pick that apart. It's a little specific. It's, you know, 53s before turning 20. But it's got to mean something. Yeah. This kid came into the NBA ready to compete day one. He has an NBA player's body. He has an NBA player's mentality. There's a lot of things to be positive about, you know, if he can clean up the shooting, the efficiency, it's really just about efficiency for him, but he can score, he can pass, he can rebound. Uh, You hope he can defend at a high level. He showed some flashes, but uh, if he can get that defense up, I I think he has the mentality to be a winner. I don't know if he's ever going to be the best player on a championship team, but I think he can absolutely be a cornerstone player to a playoff team. A, a guy in a starting lineup, maybe even an all-star one day. He has that. More, you know? Exactly. Um, yeah, so I, I'm, I think we're both high on RJ, and, you know, we're excited to see what he has in his sophomore year. Let's move on to Mitchell Robinson. Um, second year player, 10 points, seven rebounds, two blocks a game on an NBA record 74.2 shooting percentage. Um, huh. I love Mitch. I think, uh, you know, I think he's a beast around the rim. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts? We'll move over Will Chamberlain because there's a brand new greatest, most imposing center of all time. And his name is Mitchell Robinson. Man, Mitchell Robinson, when you see him make a highlight play, it's like nothing you've ever seen. Right. The one I swear this – <laughs> This guy gets higher than anyone. His timing is insane. I mean, his athleticism is just off the charts. Yeah. And there's a lot of hope and promise, especially considering what he gives you on the defensive end already at such a young age, yeah. understanding where to be, understanding how to play help defense, and coming over to just block everything in his vicinity. Uh, obviously, with young bigs, foul trouble is always a big concern. 
and he is, uh, you know, not shy of fouling in places yeah, that he shouldn't. It's a learning curve. He's definitely still raw, both offensively and defensively, and that's where the fouls come from. But it's it's one of the Knicks' biggest bright spots in the last, I, I want to say, 10 years. They drafted him around 36 pick, and he's a really good player. He's a guy that you could build around. He's a guy that, you know, players want to play with. He protects the rim, and he alley-ooped. And um, I'm high on him, and I think he's a big part of this team. Yeah. Back to him being so raw. Remember, he didn't play in college. I think he was right. supposed to go to, like, Western Kentucky. The whole season. But he ended up not playing that season, so he just trained. He actually trained with Anthony Davis uh, in Kentucky. I think Kentucky, where he's from, but I might be wrong about that. Or it might be Louisiana. Regardless, he was training with Anthony Davis as a high school prospect. And, you know, a Knicks fan can only pray that one day he can – develop some Anthony Davis to his game because we see what that gets you well, right now in the Western Conference Finals. So have you seen his Instagram videos uh, this summer? Yeah, you know, no, I'm a little wary of the Instagram videos. No, of course. It's, that's become like a huge, a huge part of, you know, uh, NBA Twitter or NBA yep. Instagram. He posts the through the legs, the James Harden step backs. Listen, I mean, I think it's, it's somewhat encouraging that he's tightening his ball handling. Um, but you know, a cautious that. I mean, it's Carmelo Anthony is the summer hoodie. Carmelo Anthony is the greatest player in NBA history. And, you know, hoodie mellow baby, hoodie mellow. Year after year, you see him in the gym. So we're a little wary of that. I just, I think the Instagram videos are more fun than anything. For sure, with Mitchell Robinson, I honestly, offensively, have more question marks than his defense. I haven't seen too much of an improvement in his game and what he has in his bag, so to speak between game one that we first saw him put on a Knicks uniform and the end of last season when it came to an end in March. I'd like to see where he's going to make his improvements. And I don't know. What do you think, Brett? Do you think the answer for Mitch is to bring his game to the outside, to the three-point line where so many bigs are going, and he should start jacking up threes? Do you think he should get a little post-game? Like, how does Mitch take that next level offensively what do you project if best case scenario, what is Mitchell Robinson going to be offensively? Yeah. I mean, so my dad always says that Mitchell Robinson should go to Hakeem Olajuwon, uh, big man camp, which he says that about every big that everyone, I think he says that about Dwight Howard. I, I don't, I think there's this new type of big that you don't need to throw the ball down the post. Um, it's the rim runner. It's the alley-oops. It's, and it's the rim protector. It's, it's, it's alley-oops, don'ts and, and rim protecting. And it's a really valuable, um, it's a, it's a really valuable skill set. Um, now even the newer type of big man is sending that to the three point line. So, you know, if he could at least bring the, if he could hit the three point at a, at a reasonable clip, it stretches the defense and it, it opens up space for RJ. It opens up space for, you know, some guards we have. Um, I think he has the potential. I'm not sold yet. I'd like to, I'd like for him to try it. Um, I think that, you know, makes him into a whole nother dimensional player. Um, I, you know, I, the, the dribbling through the leg, step backs, Euro steps, uh, you know, I'm not so, I'm not sold on that. Um, but he's also someone that I think could gradually add things to his game. I don't think he's going to come back one summer and, and just be this totally different player. Like we said, he's raw. He skipped a year of college. Um, so if he could just start stepping back, you know, and spreading the defense, and then keeping the rim running alley-oops and the shot blocking. That's a really effective player. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, all right, so let's move on to Kevin Knox. Rough season for Knox. Six points per game on 36% shooting, down from 12 points a game his rookie year. Um, Knox was the eighth pick, I believe, from Kentucky. Um, just sort of hasn't found his footing yet. Um, still, I, you know, skill player. At times, his footwork doesn't look great. At times, he looks a little lost out there. His defense isn't great. Um, but he, it's, you know, he's, he's a young player. He's had two years. What do you think about Knox? Man, Kevin Knox, if you could go to a lab and build the perfect NBA body, you would build a Kevin Knox archetype build. The guy is 6'10", graceful on his feet. He's such an athlete and a beautiful shooting touch. Right. But – but <laughs> but the big but with Kevin Knox, man, is he needs to get the confidence going. He needs to learn where he can succeed on the court and just stick to that. He's the type of player that just goes invisible for half a game, for three quarters. He'll score seven points in the first quarter and then finish the game with nine points. He's just one of those guys that worries you. You want to see more consistency from him defensively he's on it he's you know he doesn't know where to be he's not very engaged right but then everyone once in a while he'll have a chase down block and you'll be like who is this athlete right and it's kevin knox right you know we remember what he did in the summer league and that was exciting but that's just the summer, summer league, league. we got to like, see it in the nba summer league is like the instagram videos and chris Berkley's gym you know exactly uh, exactly still just 21 years old um you know, eventually that just 21 becomes just 22, just 25. And eventually sometimes they just don't make it. But he still is 21 years old. Um, yeah. So a big year for Knox. I think he would tell you that. Everyone on the Knicks would tell you that. Oh, um, yeah. Let's move on to one of the, the most beloved but polarizing also Knicks, uh, Frank Nilekina. Eighth, I believe the eighth or ninth pick um, from France. Um, coming into his fourth year in the league, he was – Six points, three rebounds, two assists on 39% shooting last year. Doesn't stand out um, in the box score. He might never stand out in the box score, but he's a superb defender. Um, and, I, you know, I think he could be a part of a, a you know, a rotation player on a good team playing good defense and one of their best guards. What are your thoughts on Frank? Well, no matter what my thoughts are, 50% of your listeners are going to love me and 50% of them are going right. to hate me. Right. Because there's no one more polarizing to Knicks fans than Frank Nilakina. Look, he gives it to you defensively every night. He's always giving you effort. It was so exciting his, his uh, rookie year, sophomore in his third year. Not that I don't think his defense regressed. I just don't think that it was such a surprise for opposing teams that this guy was going to come in and play good defense. So his defense is still there, but his offense has just not – uh, developed the way you wish it could. Now, when we drafted Frank in 2016, 17? 17, I believe, yeah. When we drafted him, the, 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 the word on Frank was, this guy's going to be a three- to four-year development project. Right. And day one, he was getting scrutinized. Um, and not a lot of people gave him the rope to develop like we knew he had to. He hasn't really shown too much development over the course of his first three seasons. Uh, other than that summer in FIBA when France eliminated the U.S. and looked just killer, uh, he, hasn't give, he hasn't really shown you much at the NBA level. 
So I have faith for Frank that he could be a contributor to a good team uh, where he was picked in the lottery. Obviously is going to kind of stick with him forever for at least as long as he's on the Knicks. And you hope that as the Knicks get better, his contributions will grow. I think he's the type of guy that might be better for a good team than for a, than for a struggling bad team. I agree. A struggling bad team, you know, the Dennis Smiths might give you 18 points and the Frank might give you four points right. on, a, on a team like the Warriors, you know, Sean Livingston didn't have to score 20, but he could come in and do his job. And I think that's the kind of guy Frank might be able to be one day, but we, we certainly hope that he shows us a little I, more this year. I, I agree with that. Just 22 years old. I'm going to give him the Knox treatment. <laughs> He's just 22 yeah. years old. Um, but I agree. If he could be on a better team, I think we could see more of the, the piece because he's not, he's a piece. That's what he is. He's a rotational player. Um, he's a, I want to say three and D guys. Three is not there yet, but if he can improve that three point shot, he could be a valuable three and D guy, a guy players like to play with the teams like the locker room likes him. Um, so it's a theme, but a big year for Frank. Also, I said that for RJ, I said that for Mitch, I said that for Knox and it's a big year for all of them. Big um, years coming, man. Of course. So I think that's, uh, that's the core. Um, let's get into a little about the, you know, into the off season. Um, so let's talk about the draft first. The Knicks, uh, got the eighth pick. Uh, hmm. they were slotted for the six, right? They had the six worst yep. record in the league. Um, yep. they haven't moved up in the draft since Patrick Ewing. Um, they haven't huh. moved up a single spot. Um, no luck, you know, some of the fan base, myself included, thought, you know, if we could get one or two, maybe we'd get LaMelo Ball or Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman. We fell to eight. Um, there still should be solid players there, but just, you know, we can't get that luck. The Rangers, Dolan's other team, <laughs> got the first pick. Right when that happened, they got the first pick. I tweeted, fucking waste, uh, we waste our luck on the Rangers. I'm not a Ranger fan. Uh, <laughs> anyway, there should be some good players there. Um, let's go over a few of them. We'll get deeper into the draft closer to the draft. The draft is not till November 18th, which as I said earlier, it's just killer as a Nick fan. The draft is our, is our Super Bowl. It's, it's, it's where we have our fun. It's what we look forward to. And, you know, because the COVID, uh, you know, push season, um, the draft was pushed back also. So a couple of guys I highlighted, Killian Hayes, guard from France. He's a raw scorer with good perimeter shooting and playmaking. Kevin O'Connor has him as his number one player, but I saw a lot of other, a lot of other experts' analysis have him somewhere six to eight. Um, so I think he, he's a possibility for the Knicks. Um, you think he could fit in well with them? I think Killian Hayes is the best case scenario for the Knicks. If he falls to us at eight, that's a steal. I see the upside in him. He just looks like a guy who knows how to score. He looks comfortable on the court natural with the ball in his hands. I think he's going to translate well to the NBA level and Killian Hayes, you know, he might be one of these guys that just that the Donovan Mitchells of the world that somehow some way slip through the cracks and just dominate offensively. Right. At, at a pretty young age. Yeah. The ringer, the ringer comparison, D'Angelo Russell, Matt, Ginobili, two really good scorers. So, you know, that's where he uh, projects. Um, another guy we could be looking at is Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State. Um, he's a game manager. He's a great passer, a great playmaker. Not too much of a shooter, 
But um, it could be that uh, that game manager that the Knicks have been looking for for the last few years. Tyrese Halliburton's my guy. I really like this guy. Under the radar guy. He's never going to come out with highlight plays. Not the craziest athlete, but just such a smart basketball player. Makes everyone around him better. And he's the type of guy that our roster, given all these uh, this unproven raw talent, could use a guy who's going to make good decisions get guys the ball in comfortable spots. You could run an offense through him. I, I'm, I really like Tyrus Halliburton. I think the Knicks would be lucky to get him as well. Yeah, I mean, we, we've really been looking for someone to run the offense. He's supposed to be a special playmaker. Um, and he's, you know, he's right around that 6 to 10 range. So, you know, that could be a good grab for the Knicks. Um, you know, it, it depends if anyone's out there for free agency, but Hallie Byrne could be right, right what they need. Um, another guy, Devin Vassell from Florida State, uh, just finished his sophomore year. He's a 3 and D type of player, a 6'10 wingspan, shot 42% from, from three both his years. Um, I mean, that's another – so I guess to backtrack, I, I think the type of player the Knicks need – is is a is a playmaker, a point guard, and possibly a three and D guy. They they were not a great three point shooting team last year. Uh, they didn't tempt them. They didn't tempt enough. They didn't make enough. Um, so Devin Vassell could give them the three and D. What do you think? The NBA is showing us what direction it's going, and it's shooting and it's defensive versatility. The Warriors dominated that stretch not only because of their amazing offense, but because of their ability to have, throw a bunch of guys on the court that are 6A, that can guard the one through five and switch everything. That's what a guy like Devin Vassell gives you. He can give you elite defense right away. You got to love him as a fit for, you know, I don't necessarily love him as a fit for the Knicks. I mean, I think any talent is talent that the Knicks should take at this point. I think Devin Vassell is the type of guy that you can actually plug into like a, a team that's ready now. Right. But if that's who the Knicks end up having, you know, we need talent in any way we can get it. And shooting in defense is definitely something we need. Right. So the defense that you can get from a Devin Vassell and from a uh, Isaac Okoro, you know, that's something that the Knicks should absolutely consider. And, and you can't be mad about it if that's who we come away with. Right. Uh, the Ringer compares uh, Devin Vassell to Chris Middleton, Robert Covington, Matisse Thibel, that 3 and D type of player. And just to backtrack on um, – Tyrese Halliburton, the ringer, compares him to Shea, Gilgis Alexander, and Sam Cassell, that smart, heady type of player. Um, move on. Uh, another prospect that I think will be right in the Knicks wheelhouse is Isaac Okoro from Auburn. He's a big, strong-bodied guard that defends really well. Um, he's not a great shooter, but, you know, he brings that toughness, and, um, you know, he could, he could guard the best player any night. Um, what do you think about Isaac Okoro? Yeah, man, he gives you great defense, and he gives you great effort, and that's always exciting. He just seems like he's all over the court, type of guy that's just, you know, blocking a shot on one end and dunking it on a fast break on the other. His offense is very raw, and he's not too good of a shooter, and he's not creating for others. So on a team like the Knicks, where Lord knows we need creation and we need shot-hitting ability, Isaac Okoro, you know, has some growing to do. But uh, so does the rest of our guys, like we were saying earlier. So hey, I'd be I'd be happy to have him. Right. I mean, no, you know, it's not gonna, none of these picks are gonna be slam dunk. They all might be missing a thing or two. But you know, if he just needs to improve his shot and, and he's a hard worker, you know, 
that's something you might want to take a chance at if, if he defends that well. Um, so we'll see Isaac Coro. They have Isaac Coro as shades of Gerald Wallace and Justice Winslow. Like I said, that, that big-bodied, strong, guard-forward um, type of player. Um, one more guy in my mind, uh, my eyes on, Denny Avija from Israel. Um, he's a versatile forward with a really good feel for the game, good playmaking. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of scouts think he might go higher, even possibly as high uh, to two with the Warriors, just because he can, you know, you plug him in. They already have a, a team around him. Um, I think Denny would be would be a great haul. I don't know if he'll be there, but you know, it, it's possible. Yeah, Denny looks like he can ball too. Uh, he's the type of guy that just feels comfortable with the ball in his hands for the great size that he has. That's pretty intoxicating. Uh, it scares me a little bit that his shot is not necessarily where you'd want it to be. You know, with every European moving forward for the next decade, it's going to be, is this guy Luka Doncic or is this guy Mario Hazonia? Right. And uh, you certainly hope he's closer to Luka, but I haven't watched too much tape on Denny, but I mean, I know that, He's uh, highly touted, and there's a lot of high regard for him. And the things that he's supposedly good at, which is feel for the game and how to control an offense and things like that, that's exciting. So, right. uh, you know, you, you hope if the Knicks take him that they have good intel and they know that they're getting a good guy. Right. So those are a few guys I think the Knicks will look to target in the upcoming draft. Like I said, the draft's not until November 18th, so we'll circle back as we get some more feedback, as, you know, as we get a better feel of where – Guys might be uh, drafted above the Knicks and who will really be there for them. Um, so, Joan, I said we were going to talk about free agency, um, but I'm going to hold that off to the next podcast or closer to free agency. Um, I just think, uh, you know, we really don't know who might be there and we haven't got a great feel for who the Knicks looking for besides Fred Van Fleet. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a, it's a long ways off. So I want to come back to that. We'll definitely talk about that. Um, let's finish cool. up. Uh, unless you have any last Knicks thought, let's finish up with uh, the two series going on right now, the conference finals. Yeah. You good with let's that? Do it. Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, so, Lakers Nuggets game two last night. Lakers won 105 103 on a buzzer beater from Anthony Davis oh in Jokic's face. Um, Davis had 31, LeBron had 26. They both played good. So did Jokic and Murray. Jokic had 30, Murray had 25. Um, what a shot from Davis. What a, what a scorer. What a player he is. This is the best teammate LeBron James has ever had. Agreed. With all due respect to Dwayne Wade, Kyrie Irving. Dwayne Wade, that first year in 2011 was great. Kyrie, we know how good, special he is. But what Anthony Davis gives you on both ends of the floor, where he is in his career right now, what he has on his plate as far as proving that he's a winner, and the ability for LeBron to – run a two-man game with him. Their skill sets are so compatible. And you saw it last night. LeBron gave you 20 points in the first half. And in the second half, he was off. He was, I think, two for nine in the second half. I think he was one for six in the fourth quarter. He just didn't have it. And Anthony Davis kept them in that game. The Nuggets did their classic Nuggets comeback. It was written all over the wall. The Nuggets were going to steal that game. That's what they did to the Jazz down 3-1. That's what they did to the Clippers down 3-1. And here come the Nuggets again. Jokic in the fourth quarter was special, scored like 11 straight of the Nuggets, the last 11 points of the Nuggets, 
that last post up he had on AD where he just made AD look like a child, backed him down yeah. for that nice little righty. When, when he just slowly plows into the defender till he's out. Oh, his my God. He's got the he touch. plays at his pace. Yeah. No one can speed up Jokic, but Anthony Davis proved that he can be the best player on a championship team. Now, it certainly helps when your 1B is LeBron James, but I would be scared if I'm any of these other three teams remaining that the Lakers look like they're firing on all cylinders and those two guys might just be enough, not to mention playoff Rondo and, you know, any given night you might get it from KCP, you might get it from Danny Green, you might get a little juice from Caruso. So I would say playoff Caruso. (laughs) He looked yeah, like, man. He could defend. I know people love him. Twitter, NBA Twitter loves him, but he could really defend and he could, and he could take it to the hoop and he could shoot. Caruso's good. Yeah, the Lakers are rolling. I mean, that was just a that was a gutting loss for the Nuggets. I mean, if if Davis misses that shot, it's one one. You regroup. Instead, it's two nothing. I pulled the odds. They have the Lakers at minus seventy thousand. Um, <laughs> bet seventy. Uh, yeah, you bet seventy to win ten. Um, right, minus seven hundred. Right. Um, yeah, I, I, it's tough to come back from. I mean, it's probably still possible. Um, you know, Murray could get hot, and Jokic is just steady, and um, you know, it's possible. But that 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 was a tough loss for them. Uh, tough, tough loss. Go ahead. Uh, I just think the Nuggets have so much to be excited about with the near future. Michael Porter is who the Knicks wish Kevin Knox was. That guy can ball. You know, the versatility they get from a guy like Jeremy Grant, Torrey Craig to a lesser extent, Gary Harris is a proven vet, Paul Millsap is a vet. Harris, and yeah. I think Gary Harris is even a bigger uh, piece than people are saying. He's, he's working his way back from an injury. He also came exactly. to a team that was clicking. It's hard. When you come back to a team that's, that's playing well, it's tough to get your foot in. It's like Victor Oladipo this year. He came back to a team that was playing really good off an injury. And one, you got to build yourself back in game shape. But two, it's tough to, like, Exactly, cement. You can't just go right back to where your spot was. So, yeah, Gary Harris. Um, you know, I, I, they they have a lot to look forward to. Yeah, yeah, they have a lot of great pieces. And let me ask you this, Brett: If you're starting a franchise from scratch, the 31st NBA team, you're starting one up in Vegas, and you get a pick of anyone in the NBA to start your franchise with. Uh, what's your top five? And there's a reason I asked with this Lakers Nuggets game because I think at least two of them are in that top five now, cemented, one of them already being there. But So I'm going to say my number one, which people are, people are going to have recency bias. People are not as high on right now as they were a month ago. But my number one is going to be Giannis. I think he's just special. He's incredible. Back-to-back MVP, defensive player of the year. Number two, probably Luka Doncic, super young. You know, he was fourth in MVP voting. He, he, he took on the Clippers. I know he didn't beat them, but he took them on. He's a – He's a generational player. Um, number three and number four. So I know why you're asking because both, I, I think both Anthony Davis and Jokic are on that list. Um, I guess Anthony Davis, I think Anthony Davis is 25. Jokic is yeah. right around there. 24, 23. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, he, he might be 25 or 26, but man, Jokic yeah. is just a game breaker. I think Jokic ha- – puts his like uh, stamp on a game more than only a handful of guys. And we're talking about for building for 10 years, but even right now, right this second, Jokic just dominates the playmaking he provides, the inside scoring, the three-point shooting. 
the fact that he can never get sped up or slowed down. He gets all of his teammates involved. Yeah. Jokic is just special. And he was a second round, 41st pick. I mean, come that, on, man. That's a franchise changer. I mean, he's when you when you take someone second round and he becomes a top five, top seven player, that's a franchise changer. All right, let's move on to the other series, the Eastern Conference. Wait, Conference. can I can I interrupt you right now with yeah, a Giannis take? I got a take for you on Giannis that I okay. have to get out of my chest. You're, you're coming in high right now? Recency bias to the full extent. But I will say, I was calling this before the playoffs started. Go to my Twitter. Check the history. All right, here we are. Basketball is a sport where there's three levels of scoring. Am I right? Okay. Score the rim. Mid-range. Increasingly becoming two levels, but yeah. Sure, but it's still three levels. And the best players in the world in the playoffs, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard – still give it to you from the mid-range, right? Right. You got to have three levels of scoring if you want to be an all-time great inside scoring, mid-range, and three-point shooting. Giannis has one of those three levels of scoring. Now, he's the most dominant player in the paint since Shaq. Right. But the past three years of the playoffs, we have seen defenses pretty easily form a wall, keep him out of the paint, and neutralize – the two-time MVP, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm worried, man. Not to mention, you don't have faith in him shooting free throws late in the game, too. If your team is in game seven of an NBA playoff series and you're down eight with two minutes left, how many guys are you drafting to your you know, fantasy team before Giannis? Yeah, Ten? But, uh, Ten that, guys? Yeah, but that's a different – I get that, but – oh, sorry. Um, I get that, but I just think he's so dominant. In, what do you say? The last eight minutes? I think he's so dominant in the first 40 minutes that I would still take him. And I think he's so dominant in the paint. He, he shoots at such a high percentage. He scores 30 points a game. Uh, and he's a defense player of the year. I, I understand everything you said. The thing, one of the things with you said the last three years, I think he's a different player. I think he's at another level than he was last year. And obviously two years ago. So I'm not even looking at those. I looked at it as, as he failed this year. And um, that you have, to, you have to count that in when you're, when you're discussing these things. But I don't think it's a three-year failure because I think he's such a better player now than he was even last year. Well, he was the MVP last year. And I know, he's I, not the same guy in the regular season than he is in the playoffs. In the regular season, on a night in January against Detroit, yeah, he's giving you 42, 16, and three blocks, and he's doing it in 30 minutes. But what we have seen from him as the guy for Milwaukee since 2017 when they lost to Boston in the playoffs, last year when they lost to Toronto in the playoffs, after going up the first two games and Toronto won four in a row, neutralized Giannis. And then this year again, man, I just have – I just think these question marks are pretty legitimate. I don't know what kind of player Giannis is is in a playoff series when the paint is closed. Yeah, I I, – there's not too much I can say because he, he failed this year and he failed last year. All I can say is wait till next year. I think he's coming back yeah. sure. Um, yeah. All right, let's move on to Heat Celtics. Uh, the Heat are up two games to one. All three games have been really good. I think it's a really even series. I think there's two, yes. two really good, um, tough, skilled, defensive teams with good coaches. You yep. know series? Loving this series. This is uh, the best two teams in the Eastern Conference this year. Uh, sorry, Milwaukee, but th- it was evidence the second they got to the bubble 
Miami and Boston are filled with killers. And, you know, we laughed at Fizdale last year because he was like, oh, man, we got the dogs. We got dogs on this roster. We got dogs. <laughs> well, Miami has dogs. These guys are not scared of anyone from Goran Dragic and Tyler Hero to Jimmy Butler and Jay Crowder and Bam Adebayo. You got Duncan Robinson. I think four of these guys played like D2 basketball at some point in career. Yeah. They just have everything to prove. They have no pressure. I love, love watching Miami play. And they really want Boston. Boston, man. Jason Tatum is the absolute truth. And yeah. Jalen Brown is right there behind him. And if you're going to get this type of production offensively from Marcus Smart, drilling three-pointer after three-pointer, taking, you know, 15 charges a game, flopping all over the court, but getting in the opposing team's head, drawing these offensive fouls, man, Boston is a scary team. And, and don't sleep on Daniel Tice doing a great job on Bam, even though Bam, is, you know, has shown his stuff. Daniel Tice is an underrated player. I think Boston and Miami are so evenly matched. So evenly matched. And this series can go either way, man. I tweeted after the first game facetiously, but I said, if this, uh, if this series doesn't have seven overtimes, I'll be shocked. It's just that even. Literally. I can see a couple Literally. The game one, there was overtime. I can see a couple more. Um, so right now, the Heat are slight favorites. at minus 135, Celtics plus 115. Um, who, who do you like to eventually come out? Uh, uh, that, 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 you pause, know, uh, my, that pause in that drone just says it. It's, it's an even series yeah. of two good teams and two teams. I'm not gam- I'll tell you what, I'm not gambling on this series because either, either outcome is just so realistic to me. I think, you know, I mean, obviously Miami's up 2-1. They only have to win two more games. But I do think Miami has a little bit more experience, uh, just the age and experience in the playoffs. I think stuff like that matters. So for a guy like Goran Dragic, who's just been around the block, a guy like Jimmy Butler who's been around the block, the big shot making that they have, the elite shooting, I, I, I'd give the edge to Miami. But, you right. know, if this series was 1-1 right now, I might be saying the same for Boston. So I really think this can go to either team. Right. Okay. Um, we'll wrap it up there. We'll see what happens with those two series, and we'll, maybe we'll jump back on to talk more about them. And like I said, I want to jump back on later to talk about Nick's free agency. Um, I think this was awesome. I think, uh, you know, I appreciate you coming on. I think this was, I think this was great. Thanks for having me, man. Really appreciate it. And next year when this Knicks start lineup is Chris Paul, <laughs> RJ Barrett, Carmelo Anthony, uh, Gallinari and Mitchell Robinson. We're going to have a lot to be excited about. I'll, I'll hold you to that. We'll see. <laughs> All right, thanks, All right Brett. Thanks for having me, man. Yeah. Bye.